Good evening. It's real weird saying that, but it is evening, so. Happy 4th of July early. We're excited that you're with us, whether you're here in person or joining us on the line. Um, before we start, I have a couple of announcements. Um, in your bulletin, there is this handout right here. For VBS every year, we do a, um, a penny war to uh, support a different missions organization. This year, we are doing the Kids Clean Water Project that explains kind of what they do. On the back of that is rules for our penny war. You can see it out there in the foyer. We have some glass jars there. It's guys versus girls. If it's silver, you put it in the opposite peoples. Um, so if you're a guy, you're going to put it in the girls. And um, you're trying to get as many as many points as you can. Pennies and dollars are positive points for you. Also, I want to draw your attention to um, this page in your bulletin. Um, we just recently changed our mission statement. Um, and with that, we have some opportunities to carry out our mission. So reach, grow, serve tomorrow if you want to. There's an opportunity to serve at 8 a.m. Uh, meet at the elementary school entrance of the school at 8, and we're going to be passing out waters for the parade. Um, also, if you are a VBS volunteer, uh, there's a meeting coming up on July 11th and 18th. Uh, just choose one. Um, and if you have questions, ask Sherilyn Coach. And with that, I'm turning it over to the worship team. All right. Good evening. I'm going to ask you all to stand as we start worship this evening. So I think it was maybe two months ago Al first said to me, do you know 4th of July falls on Sunday this year? And I went, huh, oh, and we had to figure out what to do with it. So this is kind of odd and unusual being here on a Saturday night, but we're very happy that you're all here. So we're going to sing a couple songs um, to get started. This first song, Great Things, has a great line in it for 4th of July. Um, but if you, when we get to the chorus, you free every captive and break every chain. You know, everything that we're talking about, your freedom, awake and alive. There's a lot of references to freedom in this song, even though it's in a different way than what we're talking about tomorrow. You know, it's not a patriotic song, but our freedom in Christ is definitely an important element to think about tomorrow, too. So let's get started.
Again, we've acknowledged right, that this is kind of a weird to be here on a Saturday evening, but like we just sang the word, like, you laid down your life, that I would be set free, right? and like, we're going to talk a lot about that freedom in Christ tonight, and one of the things that freedom means is that like, our worship is not constrained to a certain time and a certain day of the week. We can gather even now in this some of that unique situation, still worship God, that God still hears us, we can still come to God, and so we're thankful that we are free in that way. Good to see so many of you here tonight, those of you who are visiting, my name is Tim, I'm one of the pastors here. Would you, would you pray with me as we kind of continue to prepare our hearts tonight? Father, we, we thank you for this chance to gather even in these somewhat unique circumstances, being on a Saturday night and in the warmth of this room that you, you come and you meet with us, that we're able to gather here. We're able to come before you to sing praise to you, to worship you, to know that you hear us, that you care about each one of us. That ultimately, as we just sang, that you sent your Son, Jesus, who died for us to set us free from the power and penalty of sin. And as we continue through this weekend where we think so much about our freedoms as Americans, would we not lose sight of that far superior freedom that we have in Christ? The freedom from sin. Freedom from its grip on us. And the freedom to know that we have eternal life because of what Jesus did for us. God, would that, would that truth, that freedom override all the other freedoms we celebrate rightly this weekend? And would you be glorified 
through all of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to stand one more time. We have another set of um, worship songs. And I just want to say, like, as we were kind of, I was picking out songs this week. This was a tough week, right? Like, there's a lot going on, and people are, family is in, and we're doing things and running around. So we didn't have a lot of time to practice, a lot of time to rehearse beforehand. So I was like, all right, we're going to do some songs that people love, and they can sing well. And you guys are singing well. Like, I can hear everything out there, and it's amazing to hear God's people worship. So I pray you just um, continue on with what we're doing.
Father, it is indeed you who gives us every breath. So would we use the breath you give us to pour out our praise to you, to honor you in all that you have called us to do as we live this life you have given us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're a, a regular attender here, you know we've been working our way through the book of Luke over the last while, and so normally we'd be preaching from Luke, but tonight we're going to preach from, I'm going to preach from Galatians 5, looking at verses 13 through 15. Normally I'm not one to like make a special change for a holiday, but I often normally wouldn't be preaching on Saturday night, right? So, so here we are. And so the day after the Second Continental Congress voted that the American colony should declare independent from England, John Adams sent a, a letter to his wife. 
in that letter he said this, that Independence Day will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations at the great anniversary festival. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shoes, which I think he means shows, but he's old, games and sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations. Again, he's fireworks, but he's old. From one end of the continent to the other, from this time forward, forevermore. That's what Adam wrote to his wife, and that all sounds very prescient. Like, he really nailed how we celebrate the 4th of July. Tomorrow there will be pomp and there will be parade. There will be bonfire and fireworks and sports and games. And he, he nailed it. Right? There's just one problem. That's not quite what he wrote. Right? Where it says Independence Day up there in brackets, what he actually wrote was this. The second day of July... 1776, well, da-da-da-da. Adams will convince that we would celebrate Independence Day on July 2nd, not July 4th. Because it was on the 2nd that like, the Continental Congress actually voted to declare independence. And so he thought like, the 2nd of July would be the big day of celebration. Of course, we know like, that's not how it turned out. And in fact, as it played out, like, Independence Day was not really all that celebrated until... 1812, or after 1812, some 40 years later. And it wasn't made a national holiday until 1870. And like, needless to say, in that time, like, 4th of July has grown like, exponentially in popularity to the point that tomorrow, Americans will eat 150 million hot dogs. We'll set off over a billion dollars worth of fireworks. And 13,000 people will go to the hospital from setting off those fireworks. It's a big deal. And of course, like, the reason the 4th of July is such a big deal for us is that like, we as Americans love our freedom. We value our freedom. We find freedom worth celebrating. But like, we're not the only people who, who enjoy and celebrate our freedom. In fact, we're not the only people who like to celebrate our independence from the United Kingdom. There are 65 countries around the world who celebrate Independence Day as the day they became independent from the United Kingdom. 65 countries just from the UK alone. Never mind the, like, those that won independent from other countries. Like, people have been rebelling against British rule for a long time. In fact, like almost 500 years before the American War for Independence, the Scottish fought in the First Scottish War of Independence. Now, the fact that it was called the First Scottish War tells you it wasn't quite as successful as the American War of Independence. But nevertheless, that First Scottish War of Independence had gained some notoriety over the years, namely thanks to the movie Braveheart. That movie, the movie Braveheart, depicts William Wallace, who's one of the leaders of the Scots during the war, and it must be said right, that that movie is horrifically historically inaccurate when it comes to the, depicting the events of that, that war. But that movie does do a good job of capturing what the Scottish people were fighting for, right? what so many wars of independence are fought for, which is like freedom. And in one of the climactic scenes of that movie, right, Wallace is 
riding his horse up and down his line of men. He's given this rousing speech to try to prepare them for battle. And in part of that speech, he says this. He says, You have come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What will you do with that freedom? And that question, what will you do with your freedom, is a question worth thinking about for each of us. It's worth thinking about for us as Americans if we prepare to celebrate our, our freedom on the 4th of July. But I'd argue more importantly, it's worth it's a question worth thinking about for us as Christians. That we are free, so what will we do with that freedom? And it's a question that Paul prompts us to think about in the passage we're going to read tonight, which is Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. In that passage, he writes this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So Paul's whole point here is, right, you are free in Christ. You were called to be free. But the, impl- the implied question in that statement is the question of William Wallace, right? What will you do then with that freedom? Will you use it to indulge the flesh? Or will you use it to serve one another humbly in love and to love your neighbor as yourself? Right? That is the question of this passage. So like, this evening I want, to do, I want to do two things. First, I want to consider like, what does Paul mean when he says you are called to be free? What does Christian freedom look like? And then once we hopefully have an understanding of that, I want to ask the question, like, what does it look like for us to use our freedom well? So let's start with that first question. What is Christian freedom? And since we look over kind of the whole Bible, and especially... The New Testament, there's a call to be free as Christians that means really two things. One, Christian freedom is a freedom from sin. And then second, Christian freedom is a freedom from legalism. So first, freedom in Christ is a a freedom from sin. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says this, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin. Apart from Jesus, we are enslaved to both the power and the penalty of, of sin. Like we're enslaved to sin's power. Meaning that like apart from the Holy Spirit coming and living in us, when we trust in Jesus, we can't help but to sin. It is impossible for us not to sin in our own power. We are slaves to the power of sin. But we're also slaves to the penalty of sin. And Paul continues in Romans 6 and says, the wages of sin is death. It means that our sins mean that we fall short of God's perfect standard. And that therefore we deserve death. And we deserve eternal punishment in hell. Like, and without Jesus, we are slaves to that punishment. Like, 
There is no escaping that punishment in our own power by ourselves. We are, we are trapped. We are enslaved. But then, God sent His Son, Jesus. Jesus, who in John 8 says this. Jesus says, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus comes. Right? He lived a sinless life. He was the only one who was not a slave to sin. Yet He died a sinner's death on the cross. In His death, He paid the penalty for sin that we deserved, even though He never sinned. Paul, earlier in Galatians, said that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In His death on the cross, Jesus frees us from the penalty of sin by paying the penalty on our behalf. And so everyone who has trusted in Jesus is no longer a slave to sin. That first and foremost is what Paul means when he says we are called to be free. So if you're here tonight or you're watching online, you've never experienced that freedom. The freedom of knowing that your sins are forgiven, that the penalty is paid, that eternal life is promised, and like before anything else, I'd invite you to trust in Jesus and receive that freedom. That freedom from sin that we have in Christ is far better than any freedom we have as Americans. And if you have questions about what that means, I'd be happy to talk to you more about it. It's the first thing that Christian freedom is, is it's a freedom from sin. But it's also something else. Right? It's a freedom from, from legalism. And this freedom from legalism is really what Paul is focused on in this book of Galatians. The book of Galatians in the Bible is probably Paul's most like, combative book. Like, it's the only book where he doesn't start out by saying nice things about the church that he's writing to. Like, like usually Paul has this like, neat little pattern when he writes. Right? Like, he introduces himself, and he like, greets the church, and then he like, praises the church a little bit. He's like, oh, I praise God that you do X, Y, and Z. You're so nice. You're great. Let me tell you a few things you can maybe work on, but really you're a great church but not in Galatians. In the book of Galatians, Paul's like, hey, it's me, Paul, let's get to work. Right? And he, like, this is what he says. Like, by verse 6, in chapter 1, he's saying, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who has called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. That's verse 6 of chapter 1, and it gets like, no better for the Galatians from there. He's just like, Paul spent the whole book really taking the Galatians to task. And the thing that he's taking them to task about is legalism. Specifically in this case, there are Jewish Christians living in Galatia, and there are Gentile Galatians living in Galatia. And you can remember, like, this is right after Jesus came, and so there's some, like, how do we incorporate our Jewishness into Christianity? There's some questions about that. And so the Jewish Christians are trying to get the Galatian or the Gentile Christians right, to obey kind of Jewish law. Right? They want the Gentile Christians to obey the old Jewish food laws about what you can and can't eat. Right? They want the Gentile Christians to become circumcised. Right? They want to enforce rules about who it's okay to eat with. Right? 
Like Paul even had to go after Peter, the apostle, over these things. Right? Peter was happily eating with some Gentiles, but then some Jews showed up, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm out. Right? I want to be seen eating with a Gentile. But basically, the Jewish Christians in Galatia right, were saying like, that trusting in Jesus by itself wasn't enough for salvation. Like, they were saying you needed Jesus plus work for the law to be saved. You needed Jesus plus the ceremonial food laws. Like you needed Jesus plus circumcision. And Paul's whole point in this book is no. Right? Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Like, like Christ has died to free us from legalism. He has died to free us from needing to do anything to earn God's favor. And as long as you think you can or you must do something, anything to earn that favor then you don't understand Jesus. In fact, like Jesus is worthless to you. Paul says, chapter 5, verse 2, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law have been you who have been trying to be you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So when we get here to verse thirteen, and Paul says, like, "You are called to be free." What Paul is saying is, there is nothing you can add to what Jesus has done for you on the cross. There is nothing, nothing, nothing you can do to earn God's favor. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. Jesus has already done what was required for you. Like, he's done something that you could not do. And if you think there's something you can do to earn God's favor, then you haven't understood Jesus. And of course, like, we're not tempted to the same kinds of legalism that the Gentiles were. Right? Like, like we don't make a big deal out of eating pork. We don't make people become circumcised at becoming part of the church, right? which is a good thing. Like the church already has enough hard enough time like reaching men. If we had to like no eating bacon, you have to be circumcised to the list of requirements. Like it would not go well. But we have our own kind of forms of legalism. Like when we lived in Louisville, at one point I was under three separate agreements to not drink alcohol. At the seminary where I was a student, the Christian school where I was a teacher, and the church we remembered all had a, like a statement that you will not drink while you're part of this institution. And like, I mean, I signed them, but like, did they not realize like, Jesus' first miracle like, with turning water into wine? Like, how do you get from Jesus making wine to you better not drink while you're here? I don't know. And not to be clear, like, those institutions never explicitly said like, drinking alcohol is a sin. And I can even understand like, the seminary where I was a student, the school where I was a teacher, like, they cared about public perception and in that culture they didn't want to see their, their students, their teachers drinking and so they wanted to enforce that. And like, that's their choice, that's fine. Right? But for a church to do it? Like, that always felt dangerously close to legalism to me. 
Like, even if the church leaders won't come out and say, like, drinking alcohol is a sin, it inevitably creates a culture where Christians look down their noses at other Christians who make different choices from them. It creates a, a culture of restriction and not freedom. You can think of other examples where Christians tend to judge other Christians based on their actions, right? whether it's right, the type of TV shows or movies they watch, right? or it's who they vote for or how they vote, or what their hobbies are, how they spend their free time. Like, we tend to judge other Christians based on those things. And Paul is pleading with us here. Right? Like, don't you realize that you're called to be free? Right? Don't you realize that none of those things can earn you God's favor? There are many good reasons, please hear me, like, that individuals may, for themselves, choose to abstain from alcohol or choose to not watch certain movies. And like, those are good and valid reasons. But one reason that's not valid is that the way of displaying your righteousness in order to earn God's favor. Like, there's only one type of righteousness that matters, and that is the righteousness that Jesus gives us through his death on the cross. The expressions of legalism, like how that looks, may change over time. But in each culture and time period, we have our own kind of forms of legalism. And like, I think that's because like the default position of the human heart is to think that they can or they must do something to earn God's favor. We all have a little legalist somewhere inside of us, telling us that we have to do something to please God, something to make God happy with us. But trying to please that little legalist is a form of bondage. A bondage of like, never knowing if you've done enough. A bondage of never knowing if you've really earned God's favor. And it's a form of bondage that Paul wants us to be free from. We are called to be free. Free in Jesus. Free from the need to perform and free in the knowledge that Jesus has already, on our behalf, done everything that is required to earn God's favor. And he guarantees our right to eternal life. So this weekend, as we celebrate freedom, let's celebrate, first and foremost, the freedom that is ours in Christ. So those are, those are kind of our freedoms, like a freedom from sin and a freedom from legalism. And whether those freedoms are from living in this country or from knowing Christ, then we have an important question to ask, right? which is, how do we use that freedom well? Like We've all probably seen someone right, just who's acting like an absolute jerk, who's doing dumb stuff, saying dumb stuff, and like, their response is, oh, it's a free country. Like, I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want because it's a free country. And even if they're technically right about there not being a law against what they're doing, right, there's a difference between something being technically permissible and using your freedom well. And for us as Christians, right, when we realize how much Jesus loves us, how much he gave up in order to purchase our freedom for us, our desire should be to use our freedom as well as we possibly can. Not because it earns us favor with God, but because we want to honor Jesus. 
And the rest of this passage, then Paul lays out for us what it looks like to use our freedom well. And he starts by telling us what not to do with our freedom. And Paul says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Christian freedom is not a freedom to indulge sinful desires. Again, it's not hard to see how, like, a certain line of thinking you could think, like, someone could think, oh, well, my sins are forgiven, like, God doesn't judge me based on my actions, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever makes me feel good. I'm not going to worry about how God sees it, because my sins are forgiven, so I'm good. You can see how someone would get there, right, from a certain understanding of the Bible. And in fact, like that view has been common enough over the years that it gets a fancy big name. Right? It's called antinomianism. Anti being meaning against, nomos, namos being the Greek word for law. Right? So it's against the law. So antinomians are people who are against the law. Like for them, the point of the law in the Old Testament was only to show us our sin and to get us to see our need of a Savior. And to a certain point, they're right, right. That is a hugely important reason for the law, to get us to see our need for a Savior. The problem is, for antinomians, that's the only purpose of the law. They don't acknowledge that the law has the additional purpose of showing us how to live a life in a way that honors God, that reflects God's right morals. Like, yes, like you cannot earn eternal life based on your obedience to the law. But we can honor God. We can honor the God who loved us enough to send His Son to die for us by seeking to live, live the life that He has called us to live. And that's what antinomians miss. One, one writer puts it this way. Antinomianism, then, is convictionless Christianity. It sees repentance as a single event, not to be repeated. Walk the aisle and then just wait for heaven. Sermons are no longer to expose our sins, allowing us to admit our faults and confess them freely. The Christian life is more about ignoring sin and resting on a foggy concept of grace. That's the, the antinomian view. And Paul is being clear that Christian freedom is not, 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 not a call to antinomianism. He says it even more clearly in Romans chapter 6. He says, Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Is that basically the antinomian argument? He answers his own question by saying, By no means. The Christian freedom is not freedom to sin. It is not freedom to blatantly disregard God's laws. It is not, like to use Paul's word, freedom to indulge the flesh. Instead, Paul says, we should use our freedom to do two things. One, to love one another. And then two, to love our neighbor as ourselves. The first, Paul says, serve one another humbly in love. So Paul is writing to these two groups who vehemently disagree about what it looks like to live the Christian life. And his call to these people who are arguing and fighting is to to tell the brothers that you should stop fighting and love one another. Like, you are free to have your opinion. And people are free to disagree with you, too. Right? But instead of insisting on your freedom and insisting on your own way, 
instead of using your freedom to fight one another, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's why we like serve is one of the key components of our mission statement here. Serving is a way to display our freedom in Christ and to reflect Christ's love for us. Serving is a way for us to say, like, like, I don't need to agree with you about everything. I can still love you and serve you because of what Christ did for me. We can still love and care for each other, even within the church when we disagree. And extending that even further, Paul goes on to say, Christians should love their neighbors as themselves. And Jesus makes clear the parable of the Good Samaritan, your neighbor is anyone you come in contact with. So our freedom in Christ then gives us freedom to love our communities and our neighbors well. If we're going to use that freedom well, we should use it to love the people God has placed in our lives. Our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our community members. That's why I'm so thankful that so many of you donated water downstairs for us to to pass out tomorrow. That's why I'm looking forward to gathering tomorrow morning and walking the parade route and being able to distribute water to the people along the parade route and to to distribute flags, which the Lion Club asked us to do. It's a way that they asked us to serve the community, and we get to do that. So if you're you're available, you want to be part of that, like we're going to gather at 8 o'clock tomorrow, by the elementary side of the school. Like it's a way to just bless and love and serve our community. And our desire in doing that is just to love our neighbors well, to live this out. Right? Not to do it with any kind of agenda, not to try to force anything on people, but just to love them well. Like there's this idea that, maybe, well, maybe we should use it for more like explicitly evangelistic purposes, but... like. I'm convinced that the way that people are going to hear about Jesus most effectively is in person-to-person conversation. And so, like, my hope in doing stuff like this is that when you say, like, yeah, I go to Three Lake Evangelical Free Church, people have a good picture in their head of what that is. And so that your ability to talk to them about Jesus is not hindered by any kind of bad reputation, that we have a good reputation in the community that people are drawn to. It's the way for us to do that. So Paul, so Paul calls us to use our freedom well by loving one another and loving our neighbors. And then he ends with this warning of like, what happens when we don't use our freedoms well. He says in, chapter, in verse 15, If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Like one of the dangers of freedom is that it allows a diversity of opinion and it required wisdom in how to move forward in that diversity. Right? It's sometimes easier, if we're honest, to like exist in a hard and fast system of rules that tells us exactly what to do and how to do it than it is to live with freedom. When I was teaching fifth grade in my first year teaching, like, I thought, like, I'm going to have these very minimal, flexible, loose set of rules for my classroom. And I think, like, oh, yes, when problems come up, I'll use, like, like, use those problems to teach these fifth graders how, how to love one another, how to seek the welfare of others. And like, I have this like, super optimistic picture of what it would be like to teach fifth graders. And needless to say, like, that was blindly optimistic. Right? Like, fifth graders are not ready for that kind of freedom. 
And so, again, future years teaching, I had a far stricter set of rules. I enforced those rules much more consistently. Again, everyone who was in one of my classrooms during those years would tell you that it was far more enjoyable to be in the classroom with more rules. It turns out that kids thrive with good boundaries. And like sometimes, if we're honest, like it feels like it'd be easier if we could like have more rules in the Christian life. Like if we just had a tight set of rules, like I can do this, I can't do that, and make, make decision making a lot easier sometimes. Because all this freedom that we receive in Christ, it can be a recipe for biting and devouring one another, as Paul says. Tom Rayner writes about church health, and he wants to share this list of like ridiculous church fights he'd heard churches have. Like one church had a 45-minute argument in a member meeting about like what color their file cabinet should be that they had to buy. Like another church had this huge fight because they thought that the church shouldn't have pot lucks anymore because the word luck like violated God's sovereignty. Right? They should they thought it was like they should call them pot blessings instead of pop lucks. Like, another church fought over whether they should require the whole staff team to be clean-shaven. You know, like Jesus. <laughs> like, another church fought over like, what brand of green beans to serve at a, at a meal. Like, like, that one's even not even hard. Right? Just don't serve green beans. Like, they're gross. Like, just don't do it. Like, all that to say, right? Our freedom in Christ can be a recipe for disaster if it's not guided by wisdom and love for one another. Churches have been destroyed by insisting, by Christians insisting on their own way, on things that don't really matter. Like, that's what Paul's warning us against here. He's like, don't use your freedom in a way that bites and devours and destroys. Use the freedom that comes from knowing Christ to love one another and to love others well. So, like, tomorrow, right, we will celebrate our freedom. My hope is that as we celebrate our American freedoms, that though that celebration will cause us to remember and to be thankful for the freedom we have in Christ. And when we think about that freedom we have in Christ, we would think about like not just how nice it is to have that freedom, but that we would be prompted to consider how to use that freedom well, and that we would act on that. That we would use our freedom for the good of others and ultimately for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the way you freed us in Jesus from the power and penalty of sin and how you freed us from the bondage and constraints of legalistic rule-keeping. You have set us free. Father, I do pray that we would be wise in how we use that freedom, that we would love each other well, that we would not use our freedom as an excuse for petty fight, but that we would use our freedom as a way to love one another. That we would use our freedom to love our neighbors, to love our 
community, to love our coworkers, to love those who don't yet know you, to bless them, ultimately in the hope of seeing them come to know you. So, Father, as we, as we go from here, as we celebrate our freedom this weekend, would we not lose sight of the fact that you are the God who has sovereignly directed history to bring us to this place, to bring us to this country with these freedoms we celebrate. And even as we celebrate our country, would we above that celebrate and honor and glorify you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you go from here? Would you go celebrating your freedom in Christ and using that freedom well to love others? You are dismissed. This is Amazing Grace. Go, This is Amazing Grace. 103, This is Amazing Grace. Al, This is Amazing Grace. Oh, goodness. Not really. Yep, I'm ready.